Today we wrap up a series where we have spent time with Jesus around some dinner tables. And there's something about eating a meal with people that lowers defenses or brings out honesty in ways that maybe we don't experience at other times. And so today we're going to journey with Jesus to another meal, but the, also the interesting part of this um, experience with Jesus is that he's also going to tell a story about a meal and how that expresses the heart of God. But let me begin with a story that's actually a true story here in recent times. Let me introduce you to Sarah Cummins. Five years ago, she was a grad student at Purdue University in Indiana, and she was engaged to be married, and together with her fiancé, they planned a large and extravagant wedding ceremony and then a reception to follow. 170 plates at over $100 per plate amounted to over $30,000 that they were spending on their reception. Well, wouldn't you know it, the week of the wedding, everything blows up and the wedding is off. And there's not even enough time to send, you know, mailings and things like that. So imagine having to make all those calls. Yeah, the wedding not going to happen. Calling the church, telling the pastor, you got the weekend off, you know, wedding's not going to happen. And then she calls the reception hall thinking, you know, hey, be great, you know, to get that back because we've paid for that already. And they said, "Uh uh-uh, we can't rebook anything. It's too close. And you should have read the fine print, but you're not getting a refund. She thought about that for a day, and you can imagine just how devastating everything was together there. And she calls back the reception hall the next day. She says, hey, the reception's on. And they go, oh, it's great that you worked things out. And she said, no, we didn't work things out. The wedding is still off, but the reception is on. (laughs) And you know what she did? True story. She started calling homeless shelters. And she said, invite anyone you can. And they are welcome. And one by one, she began to fill all of those seats around there. The first one said, oh, 25, I got 25. She's like, that's great. We need more because I want to fill all 170 seats. And eventually she did. Here's an actual picture of her welcoming just one of those guests to a party. That really, in their minds, probably they thought, who would have ever invited me here? And the food was extravagant. And the band played. And they ate and they drank and they danced the night away. This picture expresses an aspect of the heart of God. And Jesus told a story just like this 2,000 years ago. And so let's jump into that. I'm going to put a picture of a more Uh, recent sort of fancy, you know, kind of environment. But this would have been the first century equivalent of Jesus being invited to something just like this. Now, the story he tells is at the end of a whole chapter, and it really is one chapter that unfolds one moment in time. So we're going to start at the beginning of that chapter, and we're going to set up the context so you understand where the story takes place. 
But we're told in Luke chapter 14 that Jesus is invited to the home of a prominent Pharisee for a banquet. Now, in the first century culture in the Middle East, that was an invitation of the greatest honor. This would be something that would only be given to the people who were at the top of the social ladder. So in one sense, people are saying to Jesus, you are an honored guest. And this is not just a Pharisee, it's a prominent Pharisee. So this is a leader of the leader, leaders, one of the spiritual insiders. And Jesus is now welcomed into that room. And then right after Jesus shows up, somebody else shows up, and it's a man. He has a condition called dropsy, which creates unusual swelling in the bodies. And Jesus, it also tells us, is now being watched. And the word for watched is an insidious word. It has a connotation that they are out to get him. Because Jesus is challenging so many ideas. And so they want to remove him. They're looking for a justifiable reason to do that. And one of the issues that has been plaguing him all along with his critics has been this whole issue of the Sabbath. And that comes from the Old Testament where it tells us that God took a rest and so he established a Sabbath day where we would cease and desist from our normal means of income. We would not work for one day. Well, then people ask the question, what does it mean to work? Versus the other things that we need to do. We can't just lay there all day. So what's work and what's not work? And somebody sat down and broke it all down. Believe it or not, healing was considered work. And so whenever Jesus did that, he was working on the Sabbath and people were just waiting for him to do that again. On this day, when he's invited to the home of a prominent Pharisee, guess what day it is? The Sabbath. And so Jesus turns to all the guests who were there, and he is now the honored, invited guest. And he says, let me ask you a question. If you have a son or an ox that falls into a ditch, and it's the Sabbath, are you going to pull them out or are you going to wait till the next day? And you know what they said in return? Nothing. Jesus is always the smartest guy in the room. And he turned the tables on the Pharisees who were trying to put him in a box and back him into a corner where they could ultimately remove him. And Jesus is just too smart for that. So he heals the guy and sends him off. And then, and Jesus wasn't given to total, you know, social graces, you know, all the time. He says, hey, I noticed this when I came in here, that you were all vying for the most important seats at the table. And that doesn't mean a whole lot to us. But back then, where you actually sat at a feast communicated where you were in the structure of things. And the most honored guest would sit in a certain place and then write down the ranks. And he said, hey, you know, I would advise you against that because, you know, you may sit in what you think is a seat that you deserve, really prominent, but then all of a sudden the host comes along and says, hey, that's not your seat. I got that reserved for somebody else. Your seat's way back over there. And what seems like random social advice is not really what Jesus is sharing in that moment. There's something much deeper playing out. That must have caused some uncomfortableness in the moment because honored guests don't talk about somebody else's feast in the way that Jesus just did. So there's tension in the room. And then so what does Jesus do? Diffuse the tension? No, actually he takes another step. And Jesus says, hey, I also noticed that you kind of invite your family, your friends, all the people who could reciprocate 
you give a feast and then they give a feast and you're invited to them and it's just kind of, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. He says, you know what you should do in the future? You should invite the poor, the lame, the crippled. Those people would never be invited. And you can imagine the tension just continues to grow inside the room. And that's where we pick up the story in Luke chapter 14. When one of those at the table with him heard this, you should invite the poor, the lame, and the crippled. He said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat in the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, why does he say that? I think what he's trying to do is break the tension. You ever had an uncomfortable moment, maybe at a Thanksgiving table, and then somebody goes, hey, how about them Utah Jazz? Aren't they looking really good this year? Let's change the subject, and let's get over that and leave that behind. And what I think he's doing by bringing up the topic of the kingdom of God is he's trying to throw out something that everybody in the room, because they are the cream of the crop on the top of the social ladder, you know, if there is a coming kingdom of God, certainly this group that we're in up here, all of us will be there. Isn't that great? And in trying to break the tension, what he actually does is toss a softball right across the plate and Jesus is going to hit it out of the park. Oh, you want to talk about the kingdom of God? All right. Let me tell you a story. And Jesus goes on to tell a parable. A parable is a made-up story that illustrates a spiritual reality or truth. Yo, you want to talk about the kingdom of God and really the heart of God that's behind all of that? All right. And then Jesus says, a story that really is based out of something that people there would already know. Because we might talk about how it you know, describes it as a feast. And my guess is even this person who's talking about, hey, the feast in the kingdom of God is coming. That's right. Where did they get that idea? Way back in the Old Testament, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. A banquet of aged wines, and now vegans, avert your eyes. The best of meats and the finest of wines. And so probably he's saying, yeah, we know this, and we know because of where we stand that we're going to be invited to that. So what is the kingdom of God? That can be sort of one of those real fuzzy sort of things. I think the best description of it and the shortest description of something that's probably a little bit longer is this idea. It is whenever and wherever God's will holds sway where God reigns and things are the way that they are supposed to be. And one day that will fully and finally be the way that it is, but it's not just there and then waiting for us on the other side of this life together with God. There's also aspects of it that are here and now. Remember when Jesus taught us how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. That more of up there would come down here and there will be more times and places the, for things to be exactly the way that they are supposed to be. And so now Jesus is ready to tell a story. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. What's the topic of conversation? The kingdom of God. Isn't it interesting that Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a banquet? And we think, well, is that just a random thing? No, he's done it before. Jesus' very first miracle, do you know what it was? 
Jesus is going to go on to raise people from the dead. He's going to go on to heal people of diseases that were incurable. He's going to do it on the spur of the moment. He's going to feed 5,000 people miraculously. His first miracle at a wedding where they run out of wine, Jesus keeps the party going. He turns water into wine, some of the finest wine that people had ever tasted. So we like to call it the miracle of H2O to Merlot. And you wonder, Jesus, of all the things you could have made your opening statement, that's it? Why? Because the kingdom of God is a banquet. It is a feast. It is a party. And how many guests are invited? Many guests are invited. God's kingdom is a feast. It is a party. And I don't know what your perception is about what it means to belong to God and to walk with God. I heard somebody this last week say, you know, for most of my life, and he had lived about 50 years, I turned to all kinds of different things to try to experience as much joy as I could. And I met the Jesus of the Bible, and I have had more fun on the other side of that than I ever had before. Sometimes we think, you know, being with God is drudgery. And just squeezing all the fun out of life. Jesus described God's kingdom as a feast and a party. And how many people have been invited? Many guests. Jesus goes on, at the time of the banquet, he, the master of the feast, sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Everything is now ready. And there's a cultural thing going on here in those days because of the lack of refrigeration. Um, big feasts like this were hard to put together. And so there was an early invitation, kind of what we might call save the date. And the people say, yep, I'll be there. And then there was this invitation that says, now is the time to actually come because everything has been prepared. So let me ask you this, based on this invitation, what did the people need to bring? Just themselves, right? Everything has been prepared. Sometimes what we think in a relationship with God is that God's going to do his part as long as I do my part. But this description here is no. The master of the feast has prepared everything. Everything is now ready. You just come. Imagine responding to the feast this way. You know, imagine the picture of some of the best food that you can imagine. And again, vegans, I'm sorry, but this is a Ruth's Chris Steakhouse plate here with filet mignon and a lobster tail on it. And that is what you have been invited to experience. Imagine being home saying, oh, I got to do my part, which in comparison to what is prepared at the feast looks more like a Swanson hungry man um, microwave dinner. Leave that at home. In fact, throw that in the garbage. Look at what you have been invited to. But somehow, the, and sometime we think, that's why I got to bring my part. But in comparison to what the master of the feast has, leave it home. Everything has now been made ready. Who would ever turn down something like that? Everything is now ready. But turn it down, they did. But they all alike began to make excuses. And this is the part in the story where the people in the room must have thought, oh, Jesus, this is a crazy story. Nobody would ever turn that down. This is what people live for in that day. And to be invited as that honored guest, nobody would say no to that. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. That's a lame excuse. 
Do you know why? It's dirt. It's not going anywhere, right? It'll be there the next day. Oh, please excuse me. I bought a field without looking at it. It's just dirt. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen. By the way, in those days, one oxen would be half a year's salary for a well-paid person. Five oxen would be 2.5 years of income. Uh, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. That's lame. So you spent two and a half years of salary on something you did not see, and now you got to take your oxen out and test drive them? Could you imagine buying a car online? Well, what kind of car is it? I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. But I spent two and a half years income on it. That's a lame excuse. And the people in the room must go, nobody would do this. I love this one. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. I will offer no commentary on what's going on inside of that relationship there. But here's the thing. These are all lame excuses. And, you know, what is interesting about it, too, is they're not evil things, right? These aren't people who are saying, you know, I'm uh, facilitating a drug deal, and I got to unload the plane, you know, and then make sure that all that, you know, illegal drugs gets out in the street. Or I'm putting together a dogfighting ring, and so I can't come, you know, to your meal, or I'm cheering for the Raiders this weekend. You know, none of these things... Are, are evil. These are good things. But do you notice another theme in here? I have just bought a field. I must go and see it. Excuse me. Eight times there is a focus on me, myself, and I. And maybe a lack of understanding of just how incredible this invitation is. But the focus is on self rather than the incredible nature of this invitation. The servant came back and reported this to the master, that people are giving excuses. They're saying no. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. These are the people who would never be invited because they are not on the top of that social structure. And blessed is the one who eats at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is trying to help people to understand you've made that circle really small and included yourself. How ironic. But the heart of God draws a much bigger circle. And in our day, I think we view these categories a little bit different, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. But here's what I believe is true about every moment in the history of this world that we've created circles of who we think is in and who we think is out, of who is deserving and who is undeserving. And however big your circle is, you need to enlarge it. And that's what Jesus does on this day. You want to know about the kingdom of God? You want to know about the heart of God that is behind it? Let me tell you a story. Who was invited to this feast called the kingdom of God? Everyone is invited. But not all of them show up. Some of them don't respond to this. Maybe they didn't understand the magnitude of the invitation. The God of the universe is inviting you to his feast. I don't know if you saw this a number of years ago. Remember when um, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle got married? Did you see the part about, you know, the faux pas with the invitations? I mean, you don't know about that. 
well, here's what happened. I didn't get one. <laughs> and, you know, if they're listening, I'm still waiting for that apology. But could you imagine getting the invitation to something like that and saying, no, I got some dirt I got to go look at. Or no, I got, you know, some oxen I got to test drive. Nobody would do that. The God of the universe, the master of the feast, has invited you. You're invited. Who's invited? Everyone is invited. Some others miss it maybe because they think they're unworthy. And I wonder if some of the people in that category back then would have thought, you know what? That event is for people who are not like me and are not dealing with what I deal with. To have these kind of characteristics be a part of your life in those days was nothing short than people viewing you as the object of God's judgment. The reason you have to deal with this, you must have done something, and God is punishing you. And Jesus blowing up that category going, uh-uh. That's not the way it is. Not from God's perspective. But there are also some people who miss it because of pride, right? There are those people in the room who think, we got our Swanson Hungry Man dinner. We're going to be there. It's going to be great. And Jesus is trying to blow up that whole pride thing and help them to understand, you know what? God's heart is for everyone, including you, including self-righteous religious people. You're invited too, but sometimes it's hard to get past our own pride. And sometimes we can be around spiritual things so long that we think it's all about those of us who are already here. But Jesus tells a story that says, no, everyone is invited. Everyone. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done. What was ordered? Go out and tell them that they're invited. Go out and invite them. But there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in. And that's not twisting people's arms. It is a word that could also be convinced. So that my house will be full, I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of. And notice the change in personal pronouns here. All of a sudden, who's the master of the banquet, the master of the feast? It is Jesus talking, saying, my banquet. Everybody's invited and it's a feast. And I think in this story, it becomes real clear to us that the servant extends the invitation, right? I mean, that's who does it. So let me ask you this question. So who are we in the story? Do you realize that you're an invited guest and maybe you've never entertained that idea before? But the master of the universe says, you're invited. And there is an opportunity for us to experience everything that comes along with God's feast in a relationship with Him. And if you've said yes to that and you have been invited and you've responded to that, I think we're the servant in the story. That we're the people that God sends to invite other people to know that they have been extended an invitation. So let me ask you this question. Who are you inviting to God's party? And I don't know about you, but for me, when it comes to sharing faith, sometimes that can get 
a little weird and awkward. How do we do that in a way that isn't weird and awkward? And I want to give some credit to um, an article that I read not that long ago that I think can help us to answer and respond to this question in ways that are not weird and awkward. And every one of these things comes from the life of Jesus. We see it modeled by him. And I think it's a way that we can do exactly this and to be that servant. And you can remember it with Pearl. How can I share my faith without being weird and awkward? Pearl. So let me tell you what each one of those stands for. Pray. Pray for someone. Pray for them by name. And know that as you pray for them, that God values them and has extended an invitation to them. E is eat with them. That's what we've been looking at the last number of weeks. Jesus ate with people. He ate with a prominent Pharisee. We saw him also eat with a tax collector. And these are the spiritual insiders, the spiritual outsiders, and everybody in between. And there's something about sharing a meal with somebody that just makes it real comfortable. A, ask questions. Ask their story. Ask what matters to them. And ask what is important to them. R is reveal your story. You know, what's your journey? Maybe before God, coming to God, being in a relationship with God, the difference that God has made, reveal your story. And in L, love them tangibly. In real ways, no strings attached. Let me put those up there for you. And I think that's a way modeled by the life of Jesus himself that we can make an impact in this world by inviting people to the feast that everyone is invited to and do it in a way that makes sense and doesn't get weird. So let me ask you one more time, who are you inviting to God's party? Because from God's perspective in his kingdom, great seats are still available. But sometimes where we live, Literally, there aren't a lot of seats available. And what we do in that moment could be a really important decision as we try to express the heart of God. But sometimes we've got to create more space for grace and for God to invite some honored and welcome guests that matter so much to him. Would you bow your heads together with me? Lord Jesus, we are so amazed by your grace because I believe in the history of this world, God, we've always sought to create the privileged and the unprivileged, the deserving and the undeserving, those who are in and those who are out. And yet you came to reveal the heart of God. You are God in the flesh, God the Son. And you showed us that God is reaching to everyone. And so, God, help us to know what that means for us individually as Washington Heights. And, God, we ask and pray that you would lead us in the direction that would help us to express the heart of God more and more and more. And, God, may there always be a sense of gratitude and humility in these hearts of ours because we're only here by your grace. So thank you for who you are. 
Thank you for all that you were doing. And God, may we be on the same page as you. Help us to see what you see and help us to respond in ways that reflect who you are and what you've extended to us. And we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.